This is the journey of life with Anjana Narayan, produced by Make Dreams Grow Co. journey of life <laughs> thank you very happy to have you um, wanted to introduce you to the viewers here so lois is a vaccine expert with more than 25 years of policy advocacy and commercialization experience to ensure equitable access to immunization and other health interventions in the us and other regions around the world working in partnerships with governments providers manufacturers public health experts and advocates to prepare platforms to deliver vaccines communicate about the broader value of immunizations and lead change to address issues such as vaccine hesitancy and access including for covid-19 vaccines um so excited to have you lois because of all the reasons that i've just stated in your background um having my background in vaccine certainly makes this for a very interesting conversation uh, and i'm hoping that you know we're able to cover a few topics that people would be interested to hear but before we go there lois um want to know a little bit more about yourself um how did you get into public health what interests you about vaccines that's a that's a great question because i don't have a traditional background so I didn't follow the traditional pathway. My background was started off in in business and finance and had eventually uh, found myself in the pharmaceutical industry. So it was completely by chance. It was just the place that I could use my skills. But very quickly I learned, wow, this is really fascinating and understanding why people make decisions, understanding what it is about per certain products that get accepted or not accepted was something that I really enjoyed. So I, I had a number of different experiences, first working in animal health, so introducing new products for both livestock and small animals. And uh, livestock was very interesting because it brings in the economics aspect of what's important about vaccines. And uh, then after a few years, I moved on to human vaccines and had the experience working in uh, for pediatrics vaccines and uh, the marketing of those vaccines. So working with pediatricians, working with uh, governments, understanding what are the issues related to pricing, competitiveness of, of different vaccines. So I was able to use my skills in a way that could help position those products so they would be um, well accepted for the public as well as the providers who offered those. But um, my biggest experience was with the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine. So this was the first of its kind and uh, meningitis was a real concern in the U.S. Outside of the U.S., it was more childhood pneumonia. Right. And childhood pneumonia is actually the leading cause of death. Now, because in the U.S. we don't really experience that, we had never really thought about it. And it seems like, wait a minute, we have this great asset, 
you know, it's made available to every single child in the US. Shouldn't it be made available to every child around the world? And couldn't it help solve that problem? So the way that I got involved in public health was actually through the launch of Prevnar, which is the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine. Some of the advisors that I was working with were also very passionate about getting this vaccine out around the world. But you take a $60 dose vaccine at the time and the countries that needed it, like for instance, in Africa or Asia, were paying you know, less than a dose, cents per dose for the vaccines. People just shook their head and said, there is no way that this was going to happen. But I was fortunate that the advisors that I was working with had a vision and I had a vision and wanted to see how do we come together and actually do this, what people thought was a nearly impossible thing. So I had stayed in touch. I loved working on the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine and it stayed in touch with the number of advisors that I had worked with. And at one point there was a, a grant out there to actually see what can be done. You know, when it takes 20 years for a vaccine to reach places where it is truly needed, that's not acceptable. So, you know, I, I've just, I, I love challenges. And this was something that I was passionate about. It was the to do. So I joined uh, Johns Hopkins and worked on actually two different projects. One was the HIB initiative. So another meningitis vaccine and the pneumoadip. And it was the pneumoadip that had perhaps some of the biggest challenges because not only is it price that keeps, uh, keeps countries from being able to adopt a vaccine, but it's a lot of other things. You have to be able to get this perfect um, arrangement where you have the suppliers that are willing to supply and that they believe that the countries will actually take the vaccine up. The countries have had a track record of saying, you know, we want these vaccines. And then when it comes to getting the vaccines, they'll say it's either too expensive or you know, we're worried about this not being sustainable, so we don't want it. So there was a, you know, distrust between mm -hmm. manufacturers and countries at, at to some level, and it wasn't um, anybody's fault necessarily, but they hadn't really been communicating at the right level. And then there's somebody needs to pay for it. So even if it is, if you didn't get it down to a dollar a dose or even $5 a dose, somebody needs to pay for it. And that was not obvious at the time because donors were paying for vaccines that were cents a dose, not dollars per dose. So yeah, making, making sure that the countries have the infrastructure to make it happen. Right. Because the last thing you want to do is send doses that are costing you a fair amount of money to a country that isn't set up to be able to handle it. That's so, so a lot of the work that we did and what really drew me to this area is understanding all of the different stakeholders and all of the different pieces that need to come in place to make something happen. 
and the need to really inspire people, you know, inspire them to get data, inspire them to look at what is it about my country that, you know, I can do differently, that I can help, you know, be part of the solution. And once you find those champions, it's amazing what can happen within a country. And those people can be within ministries of health, or they can be outside of ministries of health. They can be experts in vaccines, or maybe they're just community leaders. And it doesn't matter who they are. It's what matters is that they have a passion to be able to, to want to make this happen. And a lot of patience. Yes, it's, I, I think one of the most important things is to feel like you're making a difference. And something, things don't happen because of a single person. They happen because of a lot of people with a common goal that are trying to make things happen. So what's really nice about public health is being able to work with a lot of different people. And sometimes people that you maybe don't believe that things can happen, but seeing the change over time and seeing how they change their attitudes and, and you know, eventually become, you know, real champions in, in making things different for their countries or different for the, the global community at large. Right. Yeah, but even in, even in the U.S., there's a lot of people, a lot of adults that would really benefit from vaccines such as influenza or uh, herpes zoster vaccine or pneumococcal vaccines. But there's several reasons why uh, they don't get the vaccines and understanding what those reasons are can be really important. Mm -hmm. Understanding the disparities that can exist within a country is really crucial mm -hmm. and building trust. Right. And trust in vaccines is perhaps one of our biggest issues today because, you know, you can't just say to somebody, you need this, mm -hmm. that this is important. If they don't trust that, you know, the reason that you're telling them this is for their, their own benefit and that, you've, um, that you're not taking advantage of them in any way to study a particular population or that even with COVID vaccine, they're moving very, very rapidly. Right. That trust is essential because that's going to carry through. There's a lot of attitudes where adults, you know, maybe don't believe that they're worthy of vaccines, that, you know, that's something that you give children and we need to protect children first. So that's really important. In other parts of the world, oftentimes it comes down to first an awareness about, you know, what disease actually exists in adults and how these vaccines could help prevent. But we do have vaccines for adults that can help play a very significant role in, you know, preventing respiratory illnesses and the severe effects that happen after that. There's um, other vaccines like for herpes zoster that can really help adults, you know, continue to live their lives and getting that across and making sure that there's a different value proposition is crucial. You know, when the governments can't, you know, uh, can't um, 
deliver their childhood vaccinations, they're not thinking that they're in a position to start giving vaccines to, to adults. So there's a lot that needs to be done. And you know, many countries just are, are not there yet, but they need, they need experts out there helping them to think through and imagine how this could happen. So in times of COVID, it becomes even more crucial because we're going to need to be able to get ahead of this disease somehow. Right. And one of our best bets is to be able to deliver a COVID vaccine. And if you can't deliver it to the populations that are really at greatest risk, the vaccine won't be that effective in preventing the number of deaths. So um, you know, we need to think about how do countries begin to build platforms that don't exist? Where are they going to get their money? And you know, how are they going to logistically handle something that they've never done before on this magnitude before? I haven't heard so much about what's happening on the public health side um, to make the implementation um, possible. Yeah. So implementation is happening at several levels. So you have at the national level, and I'll, I'll talk about the U.S. first and then talk about what I know is happening outside of the U.S. But at the national level, they have to even think about, you know, does the cold chain that exists today, you know, will it be able to handle these vaccines? Because there's some vaccines that really need to be stored at, you know, extremely sub-freezing temperatures. So um, that creates some other challenges in making sure that you can deliver the vaccine. Plus, you're going to need to give two doses of many vaccines. So it, there needs to be a system where you can track who's received the first vaccine and then call them back for their second dose. Because if you're only giving one dose, then you won't get as good of protection. So those are things that need to happen. Now, the other real challenge is thinking about, okay, logistically, how do we actually do this? We know that some of our populations at risk, um, A, might not already receive vaccines. So they're not necessarily going to their physician's office or their pharmacies or other places to get vaccines. So they need to understand where they can get it. But they also need to be feel comfortable where they're going, because we keep putting out there that you know don't go in places where there's crowds where you can't social distance, don't go inside where most vaccines are given. If it comes in the winter, it's going to be even more of a challenge. What's happening right now is a trial run with the flu vaccine to see how can we make this logistically possible. And that's where countries need to be really creative. And so I'm working with Baltimore City right now on a project to take a look at, can we do a door-to-door -door flu campaign? Something where we're going to the residents of senior living communities rather than having them go out. But then there's also elements of trust that need to be addressed. We know from surveys that are happening that many people you know, are saying that 
they're concerned about the safety of the vaccine or they don't know whether they'll get the vaccine. So there's got to be a process to make sure all of that is handled and that you're engaging the community beforehand. So that's where it becomes really complicated. And then imagine, so this is in the US, this is a system where we already give adult vaccines, but outside of the US, there's a lot of countries that don't even give influenza vaccines, particularly in the low and middle income countries. So many, most of the high income countries do, but there's a big disparity between what happens in high income and, and lower income countries. So now they need to think about, well, how am I going to do this? There have been some examples of outbreaks in the past, like if you look at Ebola or there's been H1N1 outbreaks. So you take a look at, well, how did we handle that previously? But this is just on such a larger scale. So right. they'll need to know, you know, how do I allocate it? How do I make it work logistically? And um, so there's a whole machinery out there for countries themselves to make decisions and for partner organizations and civil society to work with them to figure out, you know, how can we actually make this happen? Louis, everybody's wondering, are we going to have a vaccine before the end of the year? <laughs> you know what? We can all look into our crystal ball right now. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll give you my prediction, but I'm always wrong, so, <laughs> so you can take it with a grain of salt. It's okay. We're all making predictions right now. So. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it um, I have been amazed where, you know, every step of the way, you often see a lot more failures than we have been seeing to date. So this is not the usual vaccine process. You know, I don't know if it's that we're getting lucky or if, you know, certain things are being done to, to help move things along in a way that they've never been moved along before. We have the benefit of science and genetics and all sorts of, all sorts of things, but um, we've, been, we've been really lucky. And so far it, you know, knock wood, it, it looks really promising. Now, I think though that goes with a caveat in that we may have a vaccine, but it's still likely to be in insufficient quantities mm -hmm. to be able to make it out to, uh, to the people that need it most. It's likely that you'll have a vaccine that is going to meet maybe the, the needs of that first level of healthcare workers or other um, really super essential workers right. to keep the, first you want to make sure that you can keep the health system functioning. And if we can do that, that's also going to give us some experience, some experience about how do you deliver it? What is the acceptance of the vaccine? You know, are we able to do what we need to do to get the vaccine out to the places that, that it's needed most? Right. Um, in terms of the value of vaccines and building vaccine trust, what are some of the things that we need to keep in mind as we go forward? Not just with the COVID-19 vaccine, yeah. because, you know, with the pandemic, 
people probably are more alert and more uh, receptive in a way um, than they've been previously. But yeah. what are some of the elements that uh, can be done to enhance the trust in vaccines? Well, so I, I think you know, the first, first thing is we need to be transparent. We need to be talking about vaccines uh, and the value that they provide. And I'll get back to that in a second, because I think you know, they provide a much bigger value than we're talking about. We're not doing vaccines justice. But I think we also need to be very transparent and teach people about what are some of the risks. Now the risks, there's risks with everything that we do in life. And I think we shouldn't be afraid to talk about those risks. There's um, systems out there to be able to detect those risks. And there's things that we can do to minimize that. And having those dialogues and trusting people to speak about vaccines transparently is, is really important. I think we, we don't have enough of conversations. Mm -hmm. So when people go to their doctor's office, some people want you know just a recommendation that you need to receive this, but some people ask questions. And those questions should not be shut down. They should be encouraged and people shouldn't be labeled as anti-vaccine or, or hesitant or things like that. It's natural that you have questions and we need to make every effort to have a robust dialogue. Mm -hmm. The other thing going back to the value of vaccines, you know, when we talk about vaccines, we talk about the disease, mm -hmm. but health isn't just about a single disease. You know, health is about your well-being, your ability to do the things that you want to do, the ability to grow up and go to school and get an education and be a productive adult. It's about being able to go to work. You know, when we think about flu vaccines, being able to cut those chances that you'll get really sick and won't be able to go to your workplace and earn a livelihood can be really, really important. And then what we're seeing with COVID vaccines, COVID-19 vaccines, is that you know, we need to focus on making sure that you know, the economy is functioning and vaccines play a role in that. Now they're not the sole uh, solution, but they're a really important solution. So talking about you know, how they uh, create more equity how they create access to other services. So if you go and you go to get your vaccine, you can also get other health information or other information about services such as food or um, other social services, housing, things like that. And being able to draw those links is really important for the vaccine system. It goes beyond just vaccinating for a particular disease and prevention of that. It's really uh, the entire life force of a human being and, and how they're able to live that life with quality and uh, being able to do the, the activities that they want to do uh, in a very healthy way. Yeah, and we have to remember that we're all interconnected. So what happens to that child and protecting children is, is really crucial. But it's just as crucial to protect parents 
and grandparents who may be watching that child or need to go to work to be able to make sure that they have a good life. So it's really important to get um, to consider the entire life course and not just one particular group. What um, lessons have we learned from the pandemic? Um, I certainly <laughs> have been in flu planning for a very long time and I know what we were anticipating if there was a flu pandemic, but this one has taken the world by a storm. And I'm sure that there are lessons that you guys are taking away at Johns Hopkins. Well, there's, a, it's like, where to, where to start? You know, the first, first lesson is that this is novel. So we can take all of, all of the information that we have and we can apply it to a certain extent but there's new information coming out every single day. Right. We've learned about the importance of data mm -hmm. and the importance of tracking because it's really essential to be able to see, you know, where this disease is going and how it's being transmitted and having the armies of people behind that to be able to evaluate what's happening because you're having to make information or make decisions on the fly. So, um, you know, I can't underestimate the, the value of having good data to be able to inform, you know, how we go about this and how we get ahead of it. The other thing that I've really learned is about politics. And, you know, the fact that you cannot ignore politics in health that there's going to be people that you know do things in a particular way because you know that's what they believe and that there's others that will do things in a different way because that's what they believe right and it's important to not uh to not say that one is right and one is wrong they're very different of course we want everybody out there wearing masks. We want that to happen that's you know, in the public health interest. But we also have to respect you know, the opinions of other people and figure out a way, you know, how do we become one as a society? You know, the idea that we're, we know what we're doing and you have to do it this way doesn't work. We need to understand human behavior at its core. There needs to be a lot more interaction with social and behavioral scientists right. to understand what motivates people. Like what, just me saying that you shouldn't be doing something is not gonna get you to do it. And in fact, it may get you to do just the opposite. So that's really counterproductive. And you know, I think we need to get a lot more savvy about how we approach decisions and how decisions are made. The other thing is that uh, I think we need to give people a perspective according to what is important to them. So if a country is, some countries have all of the resources and are able to make things happen the way that they need to happen, but other countries don't and understanding you know, where they're coming from and what they're able to work with and empowering them to come up with solutions is going to be really important and empowering them to sit at the table 
because the interesting thing is, you know, this, this disease has gone through certain countries and there's been a lag where other countries haven't experienced it yet, but you know what? They will at, at some point. So making sure that you engage the world and have them ask questions is important. Now, when it comes to vaccination, I think the other thing that we really need to think about is how interlinked COVID-19 vaccine and the COVID-19 disease is to what's been happening already. And we've, we're already seeing a lot less coverage of, of some of the routine vaccines that have really made a difference. So one of the things that we'll have to do is become, um, you know, make, make sure that we're focusing on what we have and not move backwards. Because in a lot of cases, measles could, you know, surpass, you know, what we're seeing with COVID. And if we let our guard down, we're going to be in really big trouble. So the last thing we want to do is move backwards on progress. So that really needs to happen. The other thing that I think we've also learned is that there's a lot of things that can be done in advance and that can be done in parallel. So you know, I never believed that we could have a vaccine in such a short period of time. But what we're showing is that it could be done and that ingenuity and bringing in different resources from different places can really make a difference in engaging people from other sectors, people that might have expertise that really want to help. Now, that's a really tricky thing is to coordinate a lot of different people. But the idea that it has to be people that have experience in this, I think, has gone away. Yeah. In terms of access to vaccines, um, there has been a lot of talk about equity, and I think you talked about it as well. Um, how do we ensure that as the COVID-19 vaccine is going to become available, that there is, in fact, equity uh, to have it available across the world? So it's a, it's a really tough combination of you know making sure that you have enough vaccine to meet the needs at home, while ensuring that there's a a, a stockpile or a, a a good supply of product to make sure that you can protect those that are less fortunate. And I think looking at how countries impact each other is going to be really crucial. Mm -hmm. So the idea that, you know, you can't just close your borders. You know, we live in a, we live in a global world and I think we have to remember it and maybe take this more from a business perspective as much as a health perspective, because we need to realize that components come from all over the world, that know-how comes from all over the world. And there are plenty of people out there in countries that are really supporting the, the lives that we have in other places. So the idea that you, know, you could just take care of your own and not of some, somebody else, there's the ethical, first and foremost, we, we absolutely want, to want people to be doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Right. But the reality is that, you know, the right thing often comes at a cost. But we need to be looking at those costs a lot more differently. That, you know, 
somebody's pain actually becomes our pain and understanding how a disease in a particular country could very quickly uh, derail things happening mm -hmm. at home. Yeah. And, you know, once you have more of that understanding, I think you'll get more buy-in. The good thing is, is that the, the world is coming together. They, they do realize that it's important. We have some very strong leaders that are speaking out, speaking out about the need about equity, but I, I think they need to be speaking out on different levels, you know, and not just saying, you know, we need to do this because it's the right thing to do, but say, we need to do this because it's also the smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, make sure that those dual messages are coming out very clearly. I think there's a lot of people around the world that don't understand why is it important to help others? And, you know, the more that we can put people in somebody else's shoes or understand how they're, how everybody is human, no matter where you are in the whole world, like put a face on people and make connections. So, you know, it seems more real because it's very easy to say, you know, we shouldn't do this. We need to, you know, just focus on, you know, ourselves and, um, you know, getting a little bit of that human face and Um, Luis, what has inspired you in your life? Are there people or experiences that, that you've had that have inspired you to? You know, I, I, I do want to talk about one experience that I had that I think forever changed me. And I don't know that they, you know, realized to the extent that it changed me. But uh, when I first started at, at Hopkins in uh, 2005, one of my very first experiences was to go over to the Gambia. And at the time, I had no idea where the Gambia even was. I didn't know a whole lot about it, but to go over to the Gambia and to document the experience with um, Hib vaccines. Mm -hmm and you know what meningitis meant and, and et cetera. And I had a lot of experiences before in the US and even other countries in Latin America and other, other places working with uh, poor populations and um, you know, knowing and seeing what happens in the hospitals and things like that. But it was a, an experience that I had at somebody's home we went to go visit uh, a child that had meningitis, who's now, now an adult, but uh, a child that had meningitis. And we went to the home to hear the story. And I remember, you know, it was a dirt floor. I think there was maybe like one little table or something like that. And, you know, here we were coming in with all of our camera equipment and the very first thing that struck me was that they offered us tea. And this is a family that has absolutely nothing. You know, it's really a, a devastating story, but it's also a happy story because it shows you know, what people can do with very little and how people can live, you know, very fulfilled lives and how determined they are to make things work. 
And that was something that just inspired me and has stuck with me throughout my career thinking, you know what, if you help people a little and give them an equal chance, it's amazing what can happen. The dreams can be modest or they can be big. But the idea is that you've got to give everybody an equal chance to realize what they want to do in life and to make them happy and that we have the tools to be able to do that. There's a lot of characteristics of, of good leaders. One is, is having respect for the people around them. And I think that respect is, is one of the biggest things. Uh, oftentimes the places that I work are in very hierarchical societies. But some of the people that have stood out for me seem to understand that everybody can have a good idea and that they don't need to own a particular idea. Mm. And I think that that helps in people that help inspire others can be really important. Another characteristic is people that seek out opinions that are different from theirs. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes we tend to turn to people that are all in the same circles and you know, are going to give us some of the responses that that you know we hope that we might get. Or, you know, there's there's little controversy. Mm -hmm. But I think what makes a really strong leader is when they seek out the people that maybe know absolutely nothing about the field that they're working in, mm -hmm. but are open enough to listen and hear the experiences of, you know, people impacted by a particular decision or people that are working in maybe a completely different aspect of the same thing, but are strong enough to realize that, you know, maybe there's a different way to approach these, these particular ideas. Many people want to enter uh, public health. Many people want to work in the pharmaceutical industry or vaccines industry. What advice would you have, especially for females, uh, who are pursuing STEM or who are looking to pursue a career in, in these fields? So uh, follow your passion, you know, and really know what's important to you. I think the other thing is I would be open to, and th this is something that I experienced, don't have a preconceived notion about you know, what public health is or what it can offer because sometimes you just really don't know what path you're going to be around. Uh, I thought I knew what I was getting into when I started working at Johns Hopkins. And it's taken me in so many different directions and really the ability to get to understand other people's work, mm. get to see how maybe their work does, or maybe it doesn't directly relate to your work, but I, I guarantee you it will years from now. And so take advantage of every single experience that, that you can and really get to know the human side. That I think it's important to look at data and to really make data-driven de decisions. 
but it's just as important to understand what's behind those data. What is really driving people to do the things that they need to do? And remember that just because something makes sense, you know, that it's, it's going to save lives or that it's going to, you know, really make a difference in reducing hospitalizations, doesn't always mean that that's the right approach for a particular country or for a particular situation. You really do need to delve into that a little bit further and understand what do they value, what's important, and understand the politics of it all. Because that's, it's that the political side that can influence success just as much as the intervention itself. So having those pieces together where you have data, you have the understanding of human behavior and perceptions and knowing how to um, position things in a way that will help ensure success will also help ensure your success. Right. Um, listen, it's a very exciting career. Uh, I have been in it for a very long time. Uh, and I think uh, on the vaccine side, once you get into vaccines, it's very hard to not do vaccines. So I, 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 you know, it's funny because I, when I got into vaccines, I never really thought about them. You know, I didn't have a bad impression. I didn't have a good impression. And working in the vaccine space, it's one of the few interventions out there that can make a difference in so many people's lives. Yeah. Now you have to remember, most people will never see a disease. So they'll actually never know that the vaccine worked. Uh, and that's what you hope for is that they don't have that experience. And that's also why the data part of things is so crucial to be able to make that that case. There's never been a better time to really demonstrate the value of vaccines, to talk about the unmet medical needs, to understand the psyche and the socioeconomic sort of factors that impact vaccination, and also really engage in that dialogue, like you're saying, with people who may have a different point of view, uh, but just want to understand, you know, from, from a data standpoint. Um, Louis, uh, thank you very much. Um, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I think we've had uh, so much uh, speculation around the vaccine, uh, how the implementation was going to happen and, and the vaccine trust uh, area uh, that I was very, very happy that we were able to cover those topics. So thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you.